1: to the New Books Network. I'm Stephen Pimper with the Public Policy Channel, and today I'm pleased to welcome David Ray Papke, who's the author of Containment and Contagion, Law and the Oppression of the Urban Poor, from Michigan State University Press. David, welcome. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Uh, So before we dive in and talk about the book, I wonder if you might tell us just a little bit about who you are and what you do and how you got to this particular project.
2: Well, I... uh... I was born and raised in uh, uh, Wisconsin uh, and uh, went to college and law school on the uh, East Coast. Uh, And uh, I I spent some years after uh, law school looking for the correct niche in the uh, legal profession, never quite uh, located it. And I decided then uh, to go to a Ph.D. program in American Studies. Uh, I remember my father uh, saying that was a wacky uh, idea because it wouldn't make me any more money. Uh, But I did it anyway, and I uh, ended up really with a specialty in uh, law's role in American culture. That's where I do uh, most of my work. Uh, This particular topic, uh, uh, I've always been interested in inequality in American life, uh, especially given the promise of... uh, uh, the country to empower and uh, everybody and treat everybody equally. Uh, and then about 10, 12 years ago, I read some uh, books, uh, excellent books by a sociologist named William Julius Wilson. Uh, they were studies of the urban poor uh, in Chicago. Uh, and uh, these studies uh, made great sense to me. Uh, Wilson, uh, at that point in his career, talked about this as the urban underclass. That was a term he used. And uh, uh, and I it occurred to me that uh, a law must play some role in this uh, semi-permanent urban underclass. And uh, I set out to explore what role that, that might be.
1: So you've got a, a lovely turn of phrase early on in the book. You say that the law does things and the law says things. What do you mean by that? Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Well, uh Law uh, puts uh, 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 people in certain uh, situations and forces them uh, to do certain things. Uh, uh, People usually talk about that as the social control function of the law. But then uh, law, either in itself uh, or uh, uh, in conjunction uh, with the enactment and ratification of the laws, uh, says things uh, uh, that... Justify itself and rationalize itself. Uh, it expre- the law expresses itself as well as just uh, uh, doing things to people. And uh, and in in the case of my book, uh, the title uh, uh, "Containment and uh, Condemnation" refer to those two uh, things. Uh, it's my argument that the law, to some extent. Contains the urban poor uh, into undesirable places, and at the same time, it condemns them uh, for being in that situation.
1: So, in in thinking about the the, the way in which you explore that argument, and, I, and it's it's the. the it seems to sort of hover around this. You you walk right up to the claim, a strong claim that the that the law is a more oppressive force in poor and low income communities than it is a a, a potentially positive force. And that if if I'm not, I think mischaracterizing you, that it's more likely to do harm than do good. Does that strike you as a fair characterization of the larger argument you're making? Uh,
2: yeah, I think that's true to some extent. I, uh, I I wouldn't want to be heard as arguing that the law is uh, just a, an instrument that's used to help hold the, the poor down. That that the law is um, is is strictly an oppressive uh, agent. Uh, but um, uh, because the law does so many things in so many different ways, this is a kind of a law-drenched uh, society. Uh, so I wouldn't want to say it was just that. But I would say that um, uh, it is often the case uh, that a law will uh, not alleviate the problems of the urban poor, but rather... Uh, create, extend, and perpetuate them.
1: So let's talk about that a little bit. You 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 play out the the ways in which you see law functioning in these in these places and among these peoples, uh, in the criminal justice system, through in housing, in in family relations, in a number of different ways, in sort of looking at the household economy, and then finally in looking at health. So why don't we talk about each of those a little bit if we can? Let's start with the criminal justice system. What are the ways in which it plays out as an oppressive
2: force? Well, you know, it's it's pretty clear from everybody who's ever looked at this that the poor are, are more likely to be uh, arrested, convicted, and imprisoned uh, than our other sectors of the society, it's, it's a disproportionate uh, degree, in fact. Uh, and uh, uh, you are uh, twenty times more likely to end up in prison if you are born into the bottom ten percent of of the uh, uh, earners in our society uh, than if you are born in the top ten percent. Um, so, uh, and, and then, uh, when you end up in prison, of course, uh, in, in a physical way, you are contained, <laughs> you are, you are, uh, uh, kept into, in this physical environment, then getting out of prison, your chances are so slim of, of getting out of poverty or, uh, getting ahead in life, uh, There are studies that uh, show that two-thirds of all employers will not hire someone they know to be an ex-con, not hire somebody they know to have served time for a felony. And uh, that then uh, means that these folks who get out of prison, well, they'll be out of the building, (laughs) but they'll still be contained in a uh, certain socioeconomic class, the lowest class.
1: It's, uh, it's hard not to think about uh Louis Vaucon, a French sociologist who talks about American prisons as quote containers for social refuse end quote.
2: Yeah, yeah, I've heard that phrase. I uh uh Jonathan Simon calls them uh waste facilities and, and calls the people who runs uh, run prisons waste management. Uh but uh, but the one point there is that in contemporary american prisons and by the way the united states leads the world in per capita incarceration uh we are, we are number 1 <laughs> uh and um uh, uh and in, in these warehouses and holding tanks that uh serve as our prisons in the united states there is virtually no rehabilitation taking place there are isolated programs here and there, but for the most part, people just uh, serve their time, and, uh, and if they're lucky, they get out.
1: So that's one way in which we can see the law, the state, uh, serving to, to – to... Uh, have have negative impacts on disproportionately low income populations. And because it's the United States and because we've got overlap between race and class, it tends to be low income populations of color disproportionately too. Um, talk a little bit about housing. What do we know about the way in which the law plays out in how we uh, uh, shelter ourselves?
2: Well, there are different uh, aspects to it. Uh, one is uh, what is known as exclusionary zoning. uh uh, suburbs uh all well cities suburbs towns have zoning laws they are local ordinances and they uh in in essence say what kind of housing can be look located in which which places and uh, uh and in the case of many suburbs especially newer suburbs uh the zoning laws uh make no room for uh um, inexpensive multiple family rental properties. Uh, uh, And the people then who would live in those kinds of properties are in effect excluded from living in the suburbs. Uh, That forces them uh, for the most part to uh, continue living uh, in impoverished inner city neighborhoods where there is inexpensive uh, rental housing available.
1: Although inexpensive, though, sometimes more expensive over the long term, right? If you think about being concentrated in disproportionately older housing stock, upkeep can be more complicated and more expensive. Uh, certainly health conditions can be more prominent, which can affect household economy and so on.
2: Right. And, and you have to remember, too, that uh, the per- people I'm talking about, the urban poor, uh, uh, they're not homeowners. Uh, they're renters. Uh, and, uh, some, some might live in public housing, uh, only about one quarter of the people who are eligible for public housing live in public housing. Uh, most of the urban poor live in, uh, rental housing and, uh, and it's the landlords then who, uh, using a kind of a cost benefit analysis, don't keep up the properties any more than they are, uh, required to. Well, and that, uh, is another example though, of how, uh, The urban poor, uh, due to law and other factors, are, in effect, effect contained in a certain neighborhood, in a certain kind of housing, uh, and in a certain socioeconomic class. Uh, Law is a a handmaiden, if you will, uh, for this process.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify.
1: this way of thinking segregation is not the self sorting of people, but is in fact a product of. Uh, arguably an intentional product of, of policy and law itself.
2: Yeah, there's there's a literature out there about how mobile Americans are and how there there's a book titled The Big Sort and how we sort of sort out uh, where we live and how we like to live and so forth. But we shouldn't forget that uh, some people don't have these options. If you're a low-income person, you pretty much need uh, rental housing and uh, you like to have inexpensive rental housing. Well, that doesn't exist everywhere. Um, right. Uh, people are, uh, kept out of the, uh, suburbs. When you exclude someone from the suburbs, you, uh, require them to continue living for the most part in the inner city. They don't have a choice. And, um, uh, and, uh, I think, uh, the suburbs don't, uh, have a, uh, a well-shaped, uh, conspiratorial, uh, vision of this all, but they would like to keep, uh, uh, the poor and they'd like to keep, uh, uh, welfare recipients. They'd like to keep uh, uh, people they think are representatives of the city out of their uh, suburban environments. Uh, and and that, uh, of
1: course, includes people of color often. With includes, yeah, and, I, I, I mean, that, uh,
2: people so I mean. Have, I, I'm talking more about a socioeconomic class, but it is nevertheless the case that uh, African-Americans in particular are disproportionately overrepresented among the poor. And that does open the door uh, for, um, uh, well, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, racist exclusionary zoning. Uh, You can't do that uh, by law, though. Uh, uh, You can't uh, zone with reference to race. You can zone with reference to uh, the type of housing, uh, the size of the lot, how many bedrooms there are in a place, so forth. Uh, You can do that. It's sort of socioeconomic. Uh, exclusionary zoning. You couldn't go so far as to have an, uh, an ordinance uh, saying uh, no African-Americans were li- uh, allowed to live in the suburb.
1: So talk a little bit about how law plays out uh, within the family.
2: Within the family? Well, I um, uh, i think the law uh, is uh, attempting uh, to channel uh, the poor toward certain things. uh they would like the poor to get married. There's a federal program, uh, the Healthy Marriage Initiative, uh, with uh, millions of dollars behind it, which is designed to basically get the poor to marry. <laughs> uh, the poor have, uh, the majority of poor people don't get married as adults. Um, they uh, have moved past that. Um, uh but uh the dominant uh, lawmakers uh would prefer it if the poor uh married they would be channeled so to speak by the law into marriage uh and there's the federal programs to support that they also would like the poor to pay child support uh they would also like the poor uh to uh if there's something uh pressing in their lives place their children for adoption uh uh with the hope being uh that those children would be adopted as they almost always are by middle and upper class people uh so uh and uh and, and along with these uh, programs the uh, these programs uh with regard to the family there is a uh, pervasive denigration of, of the poor uh welfare queens deadbeat dads uh unworthy parents and so forth. That's that's the condemnation that comes along with the uh, containment.
1: You're listening to the New Books Network, and we are speaking with David Ray Papke, who is talking about his new book, Containment and Contagion: Law and the Oppression of the Urban Poor, uh, from Michigan University Press. Uh, so, David, there are two other sort of institutional locations you talk about where the law, uh, uh, where the oppressive nature of the law can be seen to play out in poor, low-income. Uh, among poor and low-income people. Uh, Talk about what you see as as going on in terms of economics and household economics.
2: Well, you know, the the poor pay more for consumer goods uh, than do the middle and upper classes. They may not uh, be uh, as expensive uh, as a type of consumer goods. But people have written how there is something – I I don't like the phrase, but it's sometimes called the ghetto tax. The people who live in the inner city pay more uh, for a loaf of bread or a a can of tuna uh, than the people who live in more middle and upper class areas. It's because they shop in these smaller stores and so forth. So in a a way, uh, it costs more to be poor. There's a price differential that falls heaviest on the poor. Uh, on top of that all, um, there are uh, legally uh, uh, authorized uh, bu- uh, businesses that really focus uh, on the poor and the working poor, uh, rent-to-own businesses, uh, payday lenders, title pawns, and they, produ- they provide uh, financing for people who would want to buy larger consumer goods, you know, televisions and computers and things of that sort, they provide financing, but the financing is terribly exploitative. It uh, and it has the effect of worsening the economic uh, uh, situation of these uh, poor people. That uh, it in a sense perpetuates uh, their poverty. Uh, because uh, they are, uh, you know, uh, unable to make uh, the payments that are due on these payday loans or title loans and and so forth. So they, by taking these loans, they might have a short term need that they filled, but in the long run, they're they're absolutely worse off by it all. Here too,
1: what happened, what happened to usury laws?
2: Well, they they exist. Um, they exist. There are laws um, uh, that. Uh, control how much you can, uh, charge an interest. These are what you're talking about, I think. And, uh, uh, but therefore, um, uh, straight out, uh, uh lenders. Um, and, uh, so something like a rent to own business, you're not actually, uh, borrowing uh, money, uh, uh, when you rent to own something, uh, you're renting it. uh and uh if you uh make the rental payments for a long enough uh period of time you come uh, to own it and uh that that though is not the same thing as just money lending um and uh it uh it can end up in situations of of course, most people don't ever succeed in paying it off and coming to own it. But if you did, actually,
1: which is part of the business model, right? For yeah. A lot of yeah. It's
2: uh, the, the business model is designed actually to, uh, focus on people who are not likely to be able to make the payments. Right. Uh, so, uh, so that's the business model. All these uh, business they're very sophisticated business models and they are all very profitable businesses. But the, uh, if if by chance you actually made all these payments over X years and got to the price, you would uh, have paid two or three times what this same good would have cost you had you been able to buy it uh, with cash or credit card in the first place.
1: This is one of those places where we can see, and we can see this throughout your book, and where it's not just what the law is doing, but what what the law is not doing, right? Sort of the places where we see the absence of law. That could improve the yes. well-being of poor and
2: low-income populations. Yes, I, uh, I, I think there's a, a belief in, uh, uh, in my life, I'm a law professor, where uh, that you know law does good things, solves problems, uh, produces justice, and so forth. That's kind of an article of faith if you're in the law, uh, but, uh, but in fact, uh, sometimes uh, the law doesn't uh, do any of those things. Uh, sometimes the law. Uh, creates and, and uh stabilizes uh exploitative processes uh and that's an example of things like a rent to own uh business uh, uh, the uh there are attempts too when uh, uh lawmakers try to do things that uh, could conceivably uh help the poor in one way or another uh, uh that other aspects of law like the constitution. Uh, would become relevant and they would render uh, those steps uh unconstitutional. Uh we you were going to m- mention the health law uh situation. Uh uh poor uh, poor health goes along with poverty. Uh, all health indicators are worse for people who are poor collectively. I mean there's individual healthy poor people and uh, individual uh sick the wealthy people, but, but overall poor health and poverty go hand in hand. So, uh, one thing some people tried to do, uh, uh, a few years ago, particularly in New York city is they try to, uh, limit the sale of sugary soft drinks, which is, is, is a genuine health hazard. Uh, uh they lead to obesity. Uh, they can result in diabetes. uh, you're going to rot your teeth, uh, uh, but uh, efforts to restrict the size and number of sh- sugary soft drinks that could be sold in a given city were found to be unconstitutional uh, because they were uh, duly denying the liberty uh, of the purchasers uh, in our uh, consumer economy.
1: But that, I mean, I mean, I'm I'm not a lawyer, but but that's a very silly argument is it not i mean the law does all kinds of things that restrict our our ability to encounter things that might do us harm is that really a matter of the law or a matter of people with a very particular kind of policy agenda, having influence over how the law is interpreted.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you're right about that. I mean, the uh, uh, these uh, these uh, uh, lawsuits that knocked out the bans on uh, or restrictions on sugary soft drinks, you know, they were, uh, for one thing, financed uh, and promoted soft by the soft drink companies, right? <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, and then they uh, they spoke to a kind of a neoliberal uh mindset where uh we had to worry about the so-called nanny state the nanny state was trying to tell us everything we should do or not do and uh here's another example my goodness they're telling uh, people that you can't have a big gulp that was the uh the type of soft drink that was on the table at the time here's the nanny state saying you can't have a large sugary soft drink uh or two or three uh and that uh, that denied said the soft drink companies and neoliberals our liberty.
1: Often not mentioning that part of the reason that those soft drinks are so inexpensive is because of the massive subsidies that we uh nationally distribute to farmers who produce
2: corn. Yes, yes. No, it's I mean, uh, there's a real politique in it all. Uh but, it, but this is an interesting example of, though, how one kind of law, namely constitutional law, uh, could be uh, cited uh, to invalidate a local reform ordinance. These these laws about the sugary uh, soft drinks were, um, uh, uh, you know, city ordinances. That's law, but it was city ordinances. But then the state or the United States Constitution uh, could be invoked to try to invalidate them. Um, Another example, I, I don't know if you remember this, a few years back, there was an effort to put graphic uh, images on cigarette packaging. Uh, smoking, uh, by the way, has become uh, increasingly uh, a habit, an addiction of the poor. Uh, we're down to 10, 10 to 12 percent of, 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 of Americans smoking, the great, great majority of smokers in the uh, contemporary United States are poor. You'd think that you know smoking would be concentrated among people with money who had ex- extra income to spend on it, but no, it's just the opposite. Uh, the great, great majority of our smokers uh, in the present are poor people. And uh, well, th- people had the idea that if you put pictures of, of the damage that smoking can do to your lungs or your windpipe or your teeth, right on the cigarette packages, put them right on the cigarette packages, these graphic images that might uh, uh, hold people back from buying and smoking uh, the cigarettes. Well, that too was thrown out by the courts on constitutional grounds. It was seen as a uh, a denial of commercial free speech, that you were forcing big tobacco uh, to put things on their packaging that um, uh, they didn't want to put on their package and it was counterproductive to the sale uh, of their products. But here again, it's an example of one type of legal argument being used to invalidate and knock out uh, certain specific uh, local ordinances that were designed in some way or another to aid the poor.
1: We've been speaking with David Ray Papke, who's the author of Containment and Contagion, Law and the Oppression of the Urban Poor. From Michigan State University Press. Uh, so, David, this is a little bit outside the purview of the book, but I'm going to ask you the question anyway. What should we do about it? Sort of as a lawyer or as a law professor. Sort of, what do you, what do you think are 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 the remedies for this sort of multi layered series of systems of oppression and the the sort of the public rhetoric that that reinforces them? What do we do about that?
2: Well, I uh. uh... Your, your description of the system is correct. It's a multifaceted, uh, uh, variety of, uh, uh oppression. Uh, uh, it, uh, it isn't this kind of oppression that you would find, say, where, where there was a dictator or a military ruler or something like that, but it, 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 it the oppression of the working poor in the United States, the holding down of the working poor, uh, uh as many factors influencing it, uh. Uh, law is important in molding and directing this oppression, but it isn't the only uh, one and only factor. I, I, I think the only way out of uh, an oppressive regime, though, is, is, uh, uh, is not law reform. I, I don't think you get out of this with law reform. You need uh, uh, much more fundamental socioeconomic uh, empowerment. Uh, you need to give people more assets so they can uh, operate outside the context of poverty. And uh, I mean, maybe there's a law or something of that sort of minim- uh, mandatory minimum wage or, uh, or uh, uh, something that doesn't sound like uh, wealth redistribution. But I think that, I, that the solution isn't, I don't think the solution is in the law. I think the solution is through a more fundamental variety of socioeconomic uh, empowerment.
1: David Ray Papke, thank you for joining us
2: today. Well, it's been my pleasure.